Welcome to the Waconia Pulse, a community-based podcast presented by the Smothers and Falk Realty Group, highlighting all things Waconia and the surrounding area. The Smothers and Falk Realty Group is an award-winning team of five agents that have collectively sold over 1,000 homes, are consistently in the top five teams within the brokerage, and top 25 regionally are Titan Level Sales Award recipients with Remax LLC and have over 40 plus years of experience in the local market. The Smothers and Falk Realty Group is licensed in the state of Minnesota with the brokerage Remax Advantage Plus. Now here's the Waconia Pulse. Welcome to the show. We are the Smothers and Falk Realty Group, your trusted real estate guides. My name is Laura Falk, and here with me today are teammates Ben Smothers and Ann Smothers, and special guests Nancy Lenzen and Beth Novak of Trademark Title Services. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. We are going to dive right in and just learn a little bit more about each of you. So, Nancy, let's start with you. Would you mind just um, sharing a little bit about your background, where you grew up? Sure. Absolutely. So, again, as Laura said, my name is Nancy Lenzen, and I'm one of the closers with Trademark Title. I grew up in Chaska, so I've been a Carver County resident my whole life. I currently live out in Waconia, went to Chaska High School, and actually started in the title industry while I was still in high school. So, I've been doing this quite a while now. So you've been with Trademark Title Services for originally? Nope. I was with a different company for several years, learning the ropes from my mother-in-law actually is who I started working with. I was her assistant. And then I eventually, as we all know that there was a bit of a recession back in 2008 or so. So my roles had to adapt. Um, I started in 2004 at the height of all of the new construction. And as I moved through each phase of the market, Um, I ended up moving into our foreclosure department over at the company that I was working with to try to keep a job for one and keep myself busy because I just can't sit still. So that's where I learned all I needed to know, the ins and outs of the foreclosure industry. And then as our market started to turn around again, I became a closer and I started out in YZ. So that's where I started my career. Had quite a bit of knowledge there as far as trusts and all of the complicated things that can go along with lakeshore property. So it was a really good place to start being a closer. You really see some very difficult transactions there. And then eventually ended up over here at Trademark Title. And I've been here now for two years and I love it here. You're getting a little far ahead because we want to hear about your dogs. Yes. Yes. How can I forget my dog? (laughs) So I am a dog lover at heart. If I wasn't a title closer, I would probably be a dog only veterinarian. (laughs) No other animals. Um, I have a rescue puppy who is four, if I had to guess. She's a lab shepherd mix named Stella. And then I have a lab Sadie who is 11. Beth, tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself. I am sort of a Midwestern spokesperson. Um, I moved from Illinois to Indiana to Ohio to Minnesota. Um, and I got here in high school and uh, grew up around Lake Minnetonka. My interests, I have a dog who I love and two cats who I don't. <laughs> Five kids. So I keep busy with school and sports and kids and running and all those things. What's the range of age for your kids? 18. Just accepted a couple of different colleges down to 11. It's not going to college yet. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I live in Victoria and I started out in real estate. Well, I didn't start out in real estate. I started out as a stay-at-home mom and then uh, evolved from a design career to real estate. And um, I needed a little semblance of order 
in my life. <laughs> Real estate doesn't offer. No. And I found charity. And I'd always use trademark title for all of my transactions in real estate. And I thought, I'll just head over and see if she can give me a little order. Seems like you guys are running all over the place. Your schedules are very difficult to, I'm sure, follow yourself, but you guys have it down. It seems like a pretty good routine. So what does an, an average day look like? As a closer, my day can be anything from a productive day at a computer to 15 different closings running from office to office. So I hear um, her suitcase in the hall. <laughs> she has a roller bag. <laughs> I have a roller bag. It looks like I'm catching a flight every time, but I'm just on my way to the next closing. Fridays are always a busier day for us in this industry. Everybody likes to close on Fridays. But really with COVID, we've changed the way that a closing even looks to begin with. So if we're not doing the actual closing, a lot of times we're filling those days with the pre-signs. Our industry pre-COVID, we would see sellers pre-signing quite a bit, but not exclusively. And now since COVID came around, the way that our industry has decided to do closings is all sellers sign prior to closing and then seller sides just ship the documents. So that means we're essentially signing with people several days, weeks before the actual closing. If we're representing a buyer and seller at the same time, we're doing the closing twice, which is great. We like to keep everybody separated. It just makes it a lot easier um, logistically and for privacy reasons with all of the financial information that you go through at a closing now, it's nice to have them separate. But that being said, it's a lot of running around for us and a calendar on my phone is my life. So we get our file together and we pass it off to, to title. And in the next 30 to 45 days, we kind of just expect that you're going to work your magic. But, but. What, <laughs> what happens if the magic doesn't work? And what's the biggest nightmare you, you've had or what can happen a few days to closing? Yes. You can share. <laughs> right. The, um, there are so many different scenarios that you can run into that can really make or break a closing transaction. There's different things, some things to do with the lender, some things to do with the people, some things that could be a title situation. What we see happening on a lending side of things, if a buyer gets a really good deal on new furniture for their new house and they get this no interest financing, that is still a loan and that can make or break a closing because if you're teetering on a debt to income ratio and you take out new debt, it can, it can stop the closing completely. Um, so we've seen that. We see people that have changed their job because they maybe got a promotion and they didn't think that changing companies for a better salary would be a negative impact, but it is because you're still changing employers. Um, and then from a title standpoint, there's things that happen that pop up. If you, if you think when you're selling your house that you're being helpful by paying off a mortgage, please stop and hear me when I say you're not. <laughs> it happens more often than I'd like to say, but people that have a low balance on a home equity loan just think it's easier for them to close it out and take care of it. But what happens at that point is you now have a closed mortgage with an open lien on the property, and that can take 45 days to get cleared off. So my biggest piece of advice there is just let us at the title company take care of all of the payouts for that. If, they're if, not saving anything. Right? Not a penny. Yeah. No, it's actually going to make it harder. Something else that I know we've run into um, recently because of the deferred yes. mortgages during the pandemic. Yes. 
are you seeing that a lot or are you, and is it, what are the issues with that? Yeah, we are seeing that right now. So at the beginning of COVID, there was something called a forbearance program that you could enter into to defer your payments on your mortgage without incurring any type of late fees. And what happened is a secondary lien or mortgage was created and it was oftentimes held with the Department of HUD as a government entity. And now all of these people are coming out of forbearance and selling their house because we know the market has been ripe for selling. Um, and so HUD was inundated with these requests to get these forbearance payoffs. And what would normally take seven days now takes upwards of three weeks to get. Um, and it doesn't always show up on a lien at the title search if it wasn't, if it was just recently done. So making sure that you're always just disclosing to us bridge loans too, if you're Put, putting yourself in a better position to buy without selling your house first and you decide to take out a bridge loan on your current home, that is something we also at the title company need to know about because our title search is only up to what the county has record of. So if your bridge loan was taken out three weeks before closing, I won't see that and that still needs to get paid off. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to disclose all of those liens to us and we'll decide if something is important to pay at closing. We ask all of these questions in upfront prior to closing, and we always hope that everybody is going to answer honestly. It's just really important that we don't ask these questions to be nosy, but it's to help you. That's my job is to help a seller get to closing with clear title and to, for a buyer to have a clear transaction, clear title that they purchase. Which brings me to the bankruptcy and divorce question. Yes. Have you ever had yes. somebody answer yes at the closing table about a bankruptcy or I, divorce? I have. I have. Yeah, without disclosing it earlier, exactly. obviously, like at the time of the closing. And that is one of those things that we, at the title company, we send you out a form prior to closing where we ask you, since you've owned the property, have you been involved with any bankruptcy proceedings, divorce proceedings, or any tax liens against you? And people will check no to all of them when in fact that's not always true. And then we get to closing and we have to sign off on a sworn affidavit. And I have had people say, well, actually, yes. And depending on what it is, some things I can fix pretty quickly. Bankruptcies, if they're closed and discharged, sometimes it's just a matter of looking it up. If you're in the middle of an open bankruptcy, that is a deal breaker. I did have a seller, gosh, it was probably my first year of closing and she filed for divorce during the process and never told me and her and her, my thought was husband, were sitting at closing and it got finalized two days before the closing and she changed her name and everything. So thankfully we were at closing in a location that was close enough to a courthouse that she could go run over and get a certified decree. And we redid all of the documents right there at closing and it was fine. School? We did. Wow. It was awkward. We didn't have the pre-signing at the time. So we've got buyers sitting at the table staring at us, wondering what's taking so long. And it turned a closing that would normally have been maybe 45 minutes into about three hours. But it doesn't always have that easy of an outcome. There are plenty of times where the closing is stopped until we can get a resolution. So my key is to have a good poker face, excuse myself and say just a minute and then go back and look and see what's really going on. <laughs> Many people might not even know what is the importance of your part of the transaction, yes. why you know why people need it um, and what, it, what you all provide, I guess. Right, many people don't even know what a title closer is. And I'll be honest, I did not know what that was either when I got into this industry. You know, you don't grow up saying, I'm gonna go in 
to being a title closer. That sounds really cool. I remember my first year, actually, I was answering phones and someone asked me if we sold car titles. And I actually went back and asked my boss. And I think she looked at me with three eyes wondering why she hired me. But I've come a long way since then. And I know that no, 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 we do not sell car titles. (laughs) But to that effect, what our job here is, is we finalize it. We are the closure that everybody is looking for in the transaction in the sense that we transfer the title. We disperse all of the funds to the buyer and the seller. You don't really want money going from the buyer directly to the seller. So we act as the intermediary in between and we make sure that all of the liens are paid off appropriately. We would love to trust that if sellers got a check for $500,000 that they would in fact pay off all of their mortgages and pay out everybody. But again, reality is that doesn't always happen. So we just take that out of the equation and we take care of all of all of those payments. But the biggest thing that people probably don't realize that we do is we're little detectives on title clearance. We look at the title of the property and I hear all the time, well, I'm buying it from my friend or I'm buying it from my family. It's not that big of a deal, but it it is because if something's not done properly, that carries, that doesn't just go away. So we are there to fix all of the mistakes on title that happens for many years back. Which could be very expensive it to can be. a new owner if you don't check on it. Absolutely. Title insurance is there to protect your interest in ownership in a property. And if you elect not to purchase it, it's like any other insurance that you ever have, car insurance. We hate it. We think it's expensive. But if you get into an accident, you are so thankful that you have it because then you're just paying a deductible. Title insurance is that same concept. You hope you never need it. But when you do, you're very thankful because the attorney fees that you would have to pay to clear up title can be very expensive. There's things called quiet title actions that get done for very difficult title situations. And if that's something that you had to do as an owner without having title insurance, you could be looking at up to $5,000 for those. So it's worth every penny of the investment. I would never purchase a property without title insurance. And unlike other insurance, car insurance, home insurance, it's a one-time Correct. Correct. You buy it at the time that you purchase, and it's good for as long as you own the home. If you do any transfers to the title, if you have an LLC and you decide to transfer your title to the LLC, you could run into issues with a nullifying of the policy. So um, those are the types of things you always check in with your title company first to make sure that they can endorse the policy or if there's any issues, if they make a transfer. But yes, one-time premium is the best investment, protects you for as long as you own the home. Do you have an example of something that could go wrong, you know, down the road? Or have you dealt with something, you know, with title insurance where it had to come into play or yeah. you have something you could share? We do, yes. Most of the time, we're utilizing a title insurance policy with a homeowner not even knowing it. So if a mortgage is not satisfied properly from a prior owner, we will reach out to get a letter of indemnity. And the only way that we can get a letter of indemnity is if that seller, when they purchase the property, purchased an owner's policy. Because that title company and underwriter that did the prior closing is saying, yep, we're aware of what this is and we're going to insure it for you. We're going to say it's okay. And that allows us to close. I actually just have a situation on a file closing right now where there's a gap period. And what the gap period is, is the title commitment. Again, we do a title search for every transaction and the county is behind in recording. And even more so with COVID, they've been very far behind with recording. And on this particular transaction, those sellers took out a home equity line and never disclosed it. And now we're going to sell the property. And the previous owners have a mortgage that was never paid off, never disclosed, never satisfied. So we went back to the title company that handled the closing. And because there was title insurance, that underwriter is stepping up and taking care of it. If the loan's not paid off, they're going to deal with it. 
outside of it. But had that not been there, had those had these sellers not purchased title insurance at the time that they purchased the home, they would be on the hook for dealing with that themselves. So hypothetically, it's, they would have to like pay off that mortgage. The they would have right. to pro- or go to court. They sure. would have to pay sure. for the court proceedings. But yes, exactly. Right. Transfer the property. Exactly. Yeah. So title insurance is absolutely, absolutely vital. And it's really, in the grand scheme of things, not a big chunk. No. And there's two types of title policies. And when you get to your closing, you'll see this. If you're taking out a mortgage, your mortgage company is always going to require that they have a title policy as well. The title policy for your lender does not protect you as an owner, but they're going to require it. And our title insurance premiums are based on loan amounts and sale price. So oftentimes you'll see the lender policy is going to be the higher amount because they have the greater value in there. You know, you put 20% down, your premium is going to be 20% for your owner's policy, hypothetically, of course, not exact amounts. But um, you'd see your owner owner's policy being maybe $200 and your lender's policy being $700. So for $200 more, you're getting the protection for yourself. So what about spouses? Right. So yes. Recently, we you know sold. But my- Anne, I bought this house by myself. Why does my spouse have to be here? <laughs> right. Or it's it's uh, siblings yes. taking over the ownership of their parents' home and selling it, and all of a sudden it's like, well, why does my why does my wife have to come? Yes. The old one to buy, two to sell is easy to say, but right in the state of Minnesota, we do have a marital interest requirement where it is one to buy. You can buy as much property as you want and never notify your spouse. If you try to refinance or sell that property, your spouse needs to join in on that paperwork and that's to pledge their interest on there. So always kind of be aware too, if your spouse has issues as far as maybe a judgment or a bankruptcy, that's going to come into play. So we need to know those things because we will deal with it. There's nothing that we can't fix for a closing, but some things take a little bit longer. So the faster that we have a heads up, the better. Um, One of the things also to talk about that we look for without you probably even knowing it is we have to do, we have to make sure that sellers are not foreign person selling real estate. It's called FERPTA. So that can come into place where if you are not a U.S. citizen or permanent resident and you haven't been in the country long enough, you could potentially be subjected to a withholdings from the sale price. Um, And in turn, as a buyer, if you're purchasing a house from someone that is a foreign person and that tax withholding is not completed at closing, the IRS has deemed that it's your responsibility so they could come after you. So we protect both buyers and sellers in this and we check on that. With trusts, we are always making sure that the proper trustees are the ones selling, that they have the authority to sell. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a that's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. You know, as a title closer, you there's many few there's fewer of you than there are real estate agents, right? You Correct. have a bunch of different relationships with realtors all over and you know, you deal with different people and learn different, you know, things with how people operate. What is one piece of advice you give everybody that you work with that makes your job easier? Contact, Contact information is is really helpful to have providing if there's a heads up on something, there's a lot lined up transfer, change, definition, something weird about it. If you think that there's something going on, just give me a heads up on it. Sheriff sales, we really like to know about those. Even if the sheriff sales not officially happened or scheduled, if there's a notice in the mail that it's coming, um, insurance claims, if there's an insurance claim that's not going to be settled before closing, we have to deal with it. We also want to know about work that's done. And do you guys have to communicate, of course, with the lender? And I'm sure that's can be a headache sometimes if the lender is not on their game. Title closers can be real aggressive sometimes. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so can the coordinators. Um, so we we know how to bug just enough to get what we need or get an answer as to what to expect. There's just so many things that have to come together for the actual closing that we we can't really sit and wait and rely that everything's going to happen. So it's just being, you know, we have a great team behind every closer is a great team working side by side, making sure everything is going smooth. That's what I was going to ask about, because it's not just you're the, you're the person there at the closing table, right. but there's what, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, different right. people. There's an you. entire department right. of different, you know, we have, and each transaction, whether it's for a buyer side or a seller side, it's different processing of how we do things. Myself, I have two people on my team that work start to finish on every single file. When we are working with a buyer, we also have a production team that's doing title searches, issuing our commitments. Um, they, they're our go-to with any questions that we may need to go to the underwriter for. That's who I reach out to. We have an accounting team. We have a post-closing team. So it's just overall a team effort of every... There's so many people working. It's not just me. There's so many people behind the scenes getting a closing from start to finish. Thanks for the great conversation and for spending some time with us today. We are excited that we get to share an office together and are looking forward to continuing to work side by side to help ensure smooth and successful closings uh, for our mutual clients. Thank you so much for having us and thank you for all that you do because we could not do us without you. Let's wrap up with an end of the year recap and maybe a few 2022 projections. And as a team, we we helped over 100 families this year, which was right around our goal, which I think we can all be uh, proud of. And um, we did a quite a bit of local business, which is good to see. Anybody have any good stories of a positive experience that uh, stands out? One positive that I had this year is I helped a family move from relocate from Florida and they wanted Minnetonka schools. He was very specific. He was going to be the golf pro at Medina Country Club. Just they had a really tight area, uh, mid 500 range, looked at everything, multiple offers all the time. They did find a home that they really loved. We put an offer on. There were five offers. I actually was the only realtor that reached out to the selling agent to find out exactly what the sellers were looking for in their offer. And he he said, I actually um, emailed all the agents specifics of what they wanted. And we matched everything. And he, when he called to say that we, you know, they accepted our offer, he said, they can thank you because you're the only agent that actually listened. <laughs> wow. That was great. Yeah, kind of echoing off of the out-of-state. I, I also had an out-of-state buyer relocating. Obviously, this market was super competitive this year for buyers with the low inventory. So just, you know, getting them a successful experience, just getting a little bit creative too. So, you know, I did some video walkthroughs for them. All in all, you know, representing buyers, we needed to get create, you know, creative in our uh, PA language, you know, additional language added to purchase agreements, building some rapport with that listing agent, connecting with them, figuring out, you know, what specifics their seller, you know, is looking for. In inspections too, this is kind of going down a rabbit hole, but we did see inspections kind of go away a little bit this year, just so buyers could be as competitive as possible. So, you know, so they still had some comfort in, in having some sort of inspection. I chatted with the listing agent and said, hey, you know, could we bring an inspector through during a showing a quick one hour inspection and then finding an inspector that would do that just so they could still write competitively, but have that important information. That peace of mind. Yeah. And peace of mind, too. So anyway, long story short, they, you know, out of state buyer, we did find some some success and a great home fit for her. One of my uh, 
favorite stories of the year was this young family that uh, was going to buy their first home. They had a young kid, and they're they were relatively. I mean, they were in the lower budget, two to two fifty, and they were very specific that they wanted to stay in there for their payment. Um, so it was very competitive. Found a home that was perfect fit for them, and there were twenty four other offers, and we were the fifth highest of the net for the seller but because of the communication and a couple other extra terms we were able to make it work for them and they were super pumped knowing that you know there were other people willing to pay more for that property but they were still able to uh to close on it so awesome that was an exciting one another one that just a connection of four different families all off market that was um i was just proud of because they're i mean all of them ended up making that move of where they wanted to go next and they were all happy at the end so it all worked out when there isn't inventory you have to find it <laughs> so those are a couple so. brief stories about positives but let's uh hit on a couple challenges that we've uh, that we faced this year anybody got a good story and i guess i kind of touched on you know the challenges which i'm sure everybody knows about i guess but just with there not being a lot of inventory and, and a lot of buyers out there it was just counseling buyers and having them hang in there you know if, if they're not going to win the first time, if they're competing against 20 other, you know, offers, 20 other buyers, um, you know, it was a lot of morale boosting there and just, and as an agent, just making sure that you're doing absolutely everything you can for those buyers to have them, you know, be competitive and, and successful. So, I mean, that was a challenge just, you know, in itself that. Yeah. Know. I mean, I think one general challenge that everybody in this industry is going to face as far as just being a realtor is setting seller expectations uh when they list their home because everybody thinks it's so easy put it on the market you're gonna get 10 offers and get five percent over asking price and we've kind of seen a shift a little bit recently that it's not going to be like that for the for the long haul so yeah. it might not be yeah it might not be 10 offers in two hours and you know all that forever so just yeah just making sure everybody's aware of what the market's doing and realistic in their expectations. Yeah. Cause real, yeah. Being realistic is important because if you're not, you're everybody's set up to fail. I think one other challenge locally that I've noticed is the, if you're a buyer looking to get on the lake, that's been a challenge for everybody yeah, because of prices. Is, prices going up cause there's not a lot, right? So. No. And the, I mean, we've seen some that have gone in, in, three days that are approaching the $2 million mark on Lake Waconia, which I've never, can't believe it's hitting that number, but it is. So for sure. So forecasting for 2022, what are you guys hearing and seeing and thinking? Well, locally, I think we're going to see the continuation of the new construction with all the developments popping up. Yeah. Every, every side of Waconia has got some building going on right now, which is good. I mean, I think it's going to be, buyers are going to have tons of options for, different style of homes, different neighborhoods and picking what they want. So alleviating some of that low inventory. Mm -hmm. As far as the new construction goes, I know a lot of people are, I hear the conversation of, oh, we don't want that in our backyard and, you know, 600 new homes in the next three years in Waconia. But they're not understanding that we've already started the growth in this community. We're not going to, you know, it's not going to stop. And we really need to um, embrace it because it is going to open up lower level homes for first-time home buyers, or you know, the first-time home buyer house that those people are going to move on to the next level, it's really going to this logjam of no inventory is going to open up, and we really have to embrace that. As far as interest rates go, I know that's always been a talking point for us as realtors because we like to show that the affordability 
to you know, all buyers, whether they're purchasing 700 or they're purchasing 250, that affordability is there because the interest rates are so low. And as they do continue, you know, perhaps to rise a little bit next year, that affordability will start going away and it will either make the, the market kind of level off as far as prices go if things don't start flying off the market like they had in 2020. But for sure, those interest rates are something to you know ask yourself, is this time to you know make that move because I can maybe afford a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Thanks again for spending some time with us today. Check out our website at smothersfolk.com and please hit subscribe on whatever podcast source you found us on today. And we would appreciate a quick rating and review. We are active on Facebook, facebook.com backslash smothersfolk realty group. And our Instagram handle is at smothersfolk realty group. There are tons of ways to connect with us. Just reach out and let us know how we can be of help to you. We are the Smothers and Folk Realty Group. Happy holidays and thanks for checking your pulse. This has been the Waconia Pulse a community-based podcast presented by the Smothers and Falk Realty Group, highlighting all things Waconia and the surrounding area. The Smothers and Falk Realty Group consists of licensed real estate agents in the state of Minnesota with the brokerage Remax Advantage Plus. You can find them online at smothersfalk.com, which is S-M-O-T-H-E-R-S-F-A-L-K.com. If you have a Waconia or real estate-related question or comment that you would like included on this podcast, please call 612-352-9177. Again, that's 612-352-9177. Make sure you tell us to which show you are calling to contribute. And please know that we may include your voice recording in future episodes of this podcast. The Waconia Pulse was produced by Minnesota Podcasting and recorded in their St. Paul studios. And they can be found online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the individual participants and may not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Smothers and Falk Realty Group, Remax Advantage Plus, or Minnesota Podcasting.